Hey all, it's Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you about our good friends over at Burgermaster. If you know anything about me, I crave burgers in my sleep. I do not mess around. Started in 1952, Burgermaster is the best burger chain in Washington State. They have locations all over the Puget Sound in Aurora, Bellevue, Everett, Mill Creek University, and Mount Vernon. Their fresh ingredients and classic driving experience make them the greatest burger chain in the state of Washington. Stop by Burgermaster on your way home from a Seahawks game. You won't regret it. Hey everybody, it's Brian. Thanks for tuning in. If you're ready to buy or sell a home in Pierce, South King, or Snohomish County, please check out John Hurlbutt and his team over at Altitude Homes. John's an old friend and someone I know you can trust. He will also donate $500 to Ben's Fund for every closed transaction. I know how hard it is to find a real estate agent who has your best interests in mind. John can be that guy for you and benefit a great cause to boot. Check them out on the web at altitude-re.com slash hb. Again, altitude-re.com slash hb. Or give them a call at 253-222-2626. That's 253-222-2626. Go Hawks! Hey all, Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you guys about our good friend Blake Johnson of ManifestFit.com. Football season is quickly approaching, and it is a struggle to stay in shape while eating burgers and nachos. ManifestFit.com is your one only true online personal training service with workout and nutrition programs specifically based on your needs. They work with clients all over the U.S., and what makes Blake and ManifestFit.com so unique is that they don't believe training should be a luxury item. Now's the time to start. Head over to ManifestFit.com. Click on how to join and fill out the form. Their team will get back to you ASAP and help you start building a healthier, happier, louder Seahawks fan life. Welcome, everybody, to episode 74 of Real Hawk Talk. It is a big one. This is the preview episode before Thursday night football matchup between the 3-1 and Seattle Seahawks and the 3-1 and Los Angeles Rams. A uh, lot to go over. We've got random trade rumors. It seems like that's always the case with the Seahawks. We've got uh, a little bit of a, a look back at this win over the Cardinals, but really we're going to spend most of the time talking about this matchup, which is potentially a season defining kind of game um, for this team. Uh, before we get into that, I'm going to welcome the fellows in. Well, Nathan Ernst will be joining a little bit late and, you know, work, work is intense for all of us, but we make time. We make time for you guys and for each other. Um, we're going to start by first, Welcoming in Evan Hill at Evan Hill SEA on Twitter. Evan, that looks like a new polo you're wearing. How's that? It is a new polo. I have decided for all future Seahawks games that I attend in person and that I watch from my living room, I am completely done with NFL jerseys. It is not because I am wearing a Youth XL. I also have Seahawks large jerseys. I just don't like the comfort fit of jerseys i don't think they look good i just prefer form fitting better and i'm super hyped about this polo it's comfortable yeah and what size is it it is a medium all right so it's not like a youth xl there's no market inefficiency in the polo world interesting all right well i i like it that you know you are some air monarchs away 
from being ready for the Seahawks coaching staff. So kudos to you on this uh, important step forward in your, in your, uh, in your apparel. Uh, next, welcoming in from his Toronto abode, Mr. Jeff Simmons at Real Jeff Simmons on Twitter. What's going What's up, on? Dude? What's up, uh, Evan? Is that because your last jersey was Frank Clark? Is that why you ditched jerseys? It is not why I ditched jerseys. I just feel like uh, I'm an Oompa Loompa in this like baggy, large Seahawks jersey, and it just feels weird to me. Like yeah. I don't know. I just don't think jerseys are comfortable. Okay, that's fair. Otherwise, I'm good, man. I'm excited for this game tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, I am too. I'm, I'm like, there's a Pretty lot to cover in this. There's, I think we got to look back to last year a little bit and how these teams matched up. We'll talk about what's different between these teams, um, and how we're feeling about this game. Uh, it's funny in the chat we're already gotten to get folks talking about the uniforms. I can't remember. Remind me, how are you guys? How do you guys feel about Action Green? Jeff, you want to start on this one? I don't love them, but I kind of enjoy in a twisted way how much everyone who's not a Seahawks fan hates them. Like, I kind of take pride in, like, everyone getting so upset about the Seahawks jerseys every year. Personally, like, if they're going to wear a third jersey, I think it should be, like, their early 90s blue jersey. Like, I know there's been pictures of, like, Russell in that jersey from, like, the, the initial Seahawks jersey, like the Cortez Kennedy era. I think those would be sweet third jerseys for these color rush games. But again, I don't. The, the jerseys are just a little too green for me. They kind of burn my eyes. But again, I just I take an odd, weird pride in just how much everyone else hates them. That's when the Seahawks are at their best. Evan. Yeah, I think I think like looking at them in images, I'm like, this is ugly as hell. And then when game day comes and you see it on the TV or in person, there legit might be a competitive advantage that comes with these neon jerseys because they are so completely blinding that opponents see right through the players and just see turf. So, you know, there might, if there's a competitive advantage here at play, I'm all for it. I, I know Will's out there somewhere. I'm pretty sure Will and I are on the same page on this one. Um, a rain city series. Let me know, Will, but I love it, man. I, I I don't get it. I don't get it. I actually find it odd that people are so obsessed with the Wolf Gray jerseys, and I see someone in chat just talking about those. I feel like Wolf Gray look like like dirty white, like that someone didn't wash the, the the uniforms. And and Action Green, like they're they're balls out. I mean, they're like they're like super aggressive jerseys, like. Good for Seattle. Um, like, be... Brian, would you be comfortable with them wearing that jersey more than one, you know, one time a year? Absolutely. I wear it to every game. The green? What, what jersey do you have? Doug Baldwin. Neon. Action green. Wow. It was a gift from uh, from uh, the man himself. So how am I, how am I going to not wear it? Oh, wow. That's incredible. So I love him. Um, but... I get that people don't. Um, so, in any event, moving on, let's talk about let's talk about this game this past weekend. We got to at least start there before we move into what's coming up in the the Rams game. Um, uh, and I do want to mention uh, apologies to folks uh, on the Patreon uh, Patreon site. Uh, did not get a chance this week to to post and ask for for Q and A. We will definitely continue to do that as as one of the 
the benefits of being a patron, but we really appreciate your support as always. And hopefully folks, you know, sign up patreon.com slash hawkblogger. This is a great time. Like this is, this is a chance to really start building um, the community that, that hopefully is going to have a long run this year, uh, seeing how this game's going to go. But looking back to this past weekend against the Cardinals, uh, Evan, you were there and uh, doing embarrassing tequila dances prior to the game. Uh, how did you feel uh, in person watching that game? Any, any uh, top-level takeaways? Yeah, two players really stood out to me, and I'm, and I'm not sure if they stood out as much to you guys on TV, but Shaquille Griffin looked like he had another exceptional game. Um, you know, just even when plays were complete, like he was hyped, he was coaching other players, like he was communicating well with other players. He was completely involved. He just looks, he looks a little bit leaner too. I know he had said like he lost 20 pounds in the off season or something like that. Um, you can tell you really can. I think, I think uh, he carries it very differently and, and he just looks faster. I think um, he looks rejuvenated. So I think, I think Shaquille was really my, my number one standout. Uh, the second player that really stood out to me actually was Will Disley. Uh, even when he wasn't throwing the ball, he was open all the time. And I'm not sure, like, I know the, I, I don't know what the camera angle was for, for the game on Sunday. You know, you can't always see the receiver routes, but Disley consistently had like a step or two on every single linebacker or defensive back that was covering him in coverage. He was somebody that Russell was constantly looking for, you know, not just as a first or second read, but hey, Will Disley's going to bail me out. I have trust in him. He's going to catch the ball. You know, you saw that in in the touchdown he had on Sunday, and you know his like NFL leading four or five touchdowns on the season for, season for all tight ends. So um, those two guys really stood out to me. Um, trying to think what else. Clowney is fast. Holy cow! Didn't realize he's so fast. Um, DK Metcalf should have caught a couple balls that I felt like he um, had really good opportunities on. I'm sure that looks clear on the, on the camera. Um, and just one other takeaway, actually, Bobby Wagner um, did play a bad game. And, and, and Brian, I thought you, I think you had mentioned that on your Twitter feed or something like that. I think pro football focus gave him a rough grade um, outside of coverage. He took several really bad angles on tackles and it was uncharacteristic of him. So I'm not worried about it, but um, it was pretty clear in person. Yeah. I mean, a couple of th- just building off a couple of things you said there. Uh, Disley, I mean, I-, I tweeted about it, but he's doing something with the amount of touchdowns he scored in his first eight game pro games. He's doing something that hasn't been done since Heath Miller in 2005, I want to say. Mm-hmm. And before that, it was like Eric Green. I think Heath Miller is actually an interesting comp for Will Disley. Mm-hmm. I think they're, they're similar players, similar capabilities. I think Jason Witten is another guy that I think is like an all-around tight end, very dangerous in the passing game, very reliable, and a good blocker as well. So, I mean, geez, like we have been looking for a guy like that pretty much forever if you're a Seahawks fan. I mean, there's someone I was talking to on Twitter is like, he, he's what we all hope John Carlson would be. And I think that's a, that's a fair take, right? Like, you know, um, and then we had Zach Miller, who I think was what we wanted, but couldn't sustain health wise um, and, and had to, to leave after the Super Bowl. So I think Disley, it's, it's a really, it's interesting. It'll be interesting to see what happens as teams start to really understand his, 
place in the pecking order. And, and we'll kind of see how it goes from there. The other, the other one is um, on Bobby. I, increasingly, it's becoming clear to me that the Seahawks have changed a lot of their defensive scheme and it's actually affecting Bobby in ways that I don't think everyone else gets yet. So hmm. specifically two ways. One, Tedrick Thompson is an abomination and <laughs> is a starting safety and there's no way in hell he will ever do what Earl Thomas did. He cannot be a single high safety. They cannot play that defense with him back there. So they're playing a lot more too deep. And that changes the coverage responsibilities, especially for a middle linebacker like Bobby and what he was doing. The other factor there is underneath of that, they are playing three linebackers all the time. They're playing base. So it used to be Bobby and KJ as inside linebackers in nickel situation a lot of time. Bobby was covering middle. In, in almost all those cases. So his ability to roam and his strength, um, I think he's going through an adjustment period right now in how to, I, I think his role has been really affected. And it gets me a little bit pissed off, to be honest, that because we have not, the team has not been able to address the safety position, really, that's where it starts with, that we're now going to take our best defensive player and make him less effective. That's that's pretty risky stuff. Um, so those are a couple of things just coming off your stuff. Uh, Jeff, any thoughts from you about the game last week or even the, the, the comments I was just making there? That's an interesting point about Bobby. I haven't really seen anyone make that point. And to add to that, um, he didn't really practice a lot during this offseason, and he didn't play most of the preseason games. First, he was going through the contract negotiation and was really taking it easy. So – a lot of like guys are saying these first four games because no one played in the preseason are more like a normal preseason. And you'll really see from week four on who the good teams are. I wonder if Bobby kind of had that period because he had, you're right. He had a big adjustment and he's not playing the role he's played for pretty much seven years. Mm -hmm. So that that's, I think you can add to that. I think that's a really, really good point. I think Evan hit on most of the key points that me and you talked about briefly on Sunday when we talked after the game. Other than that, I thought Chris Carson, I know we all talk about running backs and them not mattering. I thought he was maybe the best player in the field other than Russell Wilson. Mm -hmm. And he was fantastic. That was good to see him back. And the cool thing is it seems like he's healthy. Penny's coming back. seems like the team's pretty healthy going into this game mm -hmm. Thursday. And it was just great did, to see Clint. Did that spin move look – I'm sorry to interject. Did that spin no, no, move no. look crazy on, on the broadcast? You know, it was like one of those oh. – Oh yeah. Talking about Carson in the backfield. Yeah. Yeah. Evan, I want to be really clear since you're bringing that up. That is what a number one NFL back does when there's an unblocked defender in the back. Oh, totally. Totally. It, it, when I saw it in person, I, I felt like I was hallucinating. <laughs> it was crazy. And yeah, I was, you know, we're going to talk about Mr. Penny, who's going to be back this week. Um, who, you know, frankly, He's not keeping up with the Ironman CJ Procise in terms of uh, health so far this season, but uh, you know, it's it's uh, it's okay, it's okay. Uh, it's good, it'd be good to have him back tomorrow. Um, but yeah, like I, I actually like finish your thought, Jeff, about uh, you were talking about Carson and, and other pieces, but I, I want to take us another direction in a second. Yeah, I just thought of that considering that a lot of us thought that I I didn't, but a lot of us thought that he should be benched or that his. It was nice to see him just return to his form from last year. And like the Fenners looked like bowling pins in that fourth quarter drive. 
Yeah. And he had how many? Do you guys remember how many tackles he broke? He was credited with breaking tackles. What like, it was like twenty one? Yeah, I think it was over twenty tackles. He was credited with breaking last week. Um, or Did you past. see that it was like an NFL record, and it's it's like the first time it's been done in like twenty something years or something? No, really. Where is that? God, I I could try and find the tweet, but it was on my timeline. Wow, if that's true, that's crazy. Let me see if I can find it. But he was just he was just a man possessed. Like he took over that game. I know people are gonna say the running backs don't matter or whatever. Just th- that was cool to see based on how bad he was the week before. That was really it's a really good thing going forward, and they're gonna need him based on how they want to play offense. Um so I want to. I want to. Um, I want to um, talk a little bit about what we've gotten wrong. It's, a, it's something we did last year yeah, a little bit maybe. more, and I'm going to kick it off by uh, picking one aspect, and we'll go round table here and, and talk about a few others. But when Evan and I last week we were talking about how we thought Pete Carroll should handle the fumbling issues with Chris Carson. And we were both of the mind that actually they should have one of the other running backs, Rashad Penny, take point, and Chris Carson should split snaps and work his way back up to, you know, his confidence back up and to be the lead back again. It wasn't necessarily a benching, but it was definitely a, all right, let's kind of lighten your load and help you build your confidence back up and let someone else potentially get a chance at the top spot. And it was it was about, you know, you got to hold players accountable. And at some point, if they're, if they're potentially either losing games or really coming close to losing games for you, the right thing for the team is to, to let other people step forward. I would just, I'm just going to come out and say, I think that the way Pete Carroll handled it is a totally valid alternative method. And the reason I would say I was wrong in the way I was thinking about it is the thing I like about the way Pete Carroll handled it, which is doubling down on Chris Carson is, Um, if he'd gone the route that I think I was kind of promoting, there's a much bigger risk that Chris Carson would not come out of that as confident and as, uh, productive as the way Carol went and knowing how important Chris Carson is, I think, you know, obviously if he had fumbled, we'd, we'd be just all over him about it, but, um, the potential now is that you can really bring him back with uh, a, a lot more confidence and that he can play with more confidence and that you're going to get the most out of your best running back. So I would just call that a, something I think looking back, I'd say I was wrong on that one. Um, Evan, how about you? Something that you got wrong. It doesn't have to be specific to this game, but so far this season, a player, uh, a move. Um, what's something that you feel like you got wrong? Yeah. Um, I was not expecting, and I was pretty negative on Shaquille coming into this year. I was I was really worried about the sophomore season he had, and and I think rightfully so, honestly. Um, after after a fairly impressive rookie year, but he's really, you know, come out of his third year looking like a Pro Bowl level cornerback, like a guy where if he continues this level of you know play. I'm not sure if I'm, I'd be willing to pay him like top five money, but yeah, he should probably get like, you know, 13, $14 million a year. If he keeps it up, cornerbacks are that valuable. Good cornerbacks are 
hard to find. Um, they're difficult to identify in the draft and they're expensive in free agencies. So I think Shaquille is probably my pick for where I feel like I was most wrong and probably most negative about, but he has been more than a pleasant surprise. He has been a major contributor through, I think, four games of the season. How about you, Jeff? What's something you got wrong? Um, I, I would say I thought they, I know they improved a lot in this last game, but I think the offensive line to me is an area that I really thought would be the strength of the team. That would be a strength of the offense. I thought there were a lot of promising signs last year, especially run blocking. And the first three games were pretty rough across the board. The pass pro was really, really bad. The run blocking was bad. That New Orleans game, they couldn't do anything on fourth and short. So this last game was a big step forward. So hopefully they've turned a corner here. But I, I really, I was really surprised how slow they came out of the gate, how rough they looked. I know they didn't play a lot together in preseason, but like a guy like a Fetty, I couldn't imagine him declining from last year, and he's been really, really bad all season. I guess the other one would be Michael Kendricks. I thought he was going to really be a seamless tackler on this team. Thought he was going to be one of their strongest defenders. He's really had trouble in space. I know he had two sacks last game, which was very promising. Another step forward, but. He's missed a lot more tackles. Evan mentioned the angles with Wagner. He's he struggled with that. And they're picking a pretty big leap going all that base and taking their nickel defender off the field. And I think he's had a pretty rough first quarter of the season other than those sacks. I don't know if you guys agree with that, but he hasn't made – I just thought based on how he played last year and how he played in the preseason, he was going to make all those impact plays in the backfield. And he's been pretty quiet so far. And I guess yeah, the biggest I one, Dwayne Brown. Yeah, he's definitely not been as good. He yeah. has not been as good. Um, thankfully for Seahawks fans, uh, it looks like neither is uh, Andrew Whitworth. But, um, yeah, it's – it's the offensive line's a great one. I think – did not expect them to take a step backwards. <laughs> it certainly looked like it. Uh, I think another it, thing Did it look I, like that in Arizona, though? No. No, that was their best game. That was their best game. I, we talked about it in the post game a little bit. Um, you know, I would say I would qualify that as another thing I got wrong. I've on Mikey Potty, I didn't really see him as an upgrade over Sweezy. I, I, you know, I think Sweezy gets a lot of bad rep, but if you actually look even in pro football focus, he's one of the better pass blocking guards in the NFL and, and was last year at times too. It, it got worse as the year went on, but uh, Potty to me, like, was a guy that I thought was his best days were beyond him and wasn't necessarily gonna be able to step in and play that well anyway he's only played a couple of games now but I thought he was a difference maker in this game I thought it wasn't just Chris Carson that that had a big step up but he they did great job isolating this uh, Mark Schlereth I think was the color guy and showing some of Upati's inside pulls and and seal blocks that he was making they were they were clearing the path for, for Chris Carson big time. Um, I also thought that looked like a little bit of a different um, scheme that some of the, some of the blocking schemes looked a little bit different. It might've been the matchup, but you know, that was encouraging as well. I, I'll be curious to see how that plays out this week. So um, he's played better than I thought. We'll find out. It looks like I'm going to be wrong about DK Metcalf in terms of how much he's going to get targeted, but his targets have gone down and down and down. So, uh, you know, I'm not hopeful that in this case that I'm right. Uh, but I would just say that's going to be, 
it's something to watch. He's he's not being utilized that well. And I, I thought even in this game, he had one catch for six yards. It was on a quick swing pass. I don't know why they don't do that more often or wide receiver screens. Um, so, uh, you know. So let's just clarify. Tyler Lockett is at 32 targets through four games. DK Metcalf is at 23. And the next closest wide receiver is Jerron Brown at nine. So wow. um, that's a drop off. 14, 14 targets is a fairly large drop off. I want to take a second to, to thank uh, TLJ Russian bot who is uh, added in the super chat donated. We really appreciate it, dude. Uh, every bit counts and uh, really, really appreciate it. We're, as always, our goal is, you know, we, we would like to donate. Um, we were minimum going to donate $10,000 every year to charity. Uh, we'd like to get that up to 20,000. I think we should be on track to do that. And then everything above, uh, we're going to be uh, investing back into the show um, with guests and more things that we can have, uh, more content we can create for you guys. Um, so we can, it's not going to be going in my pocket. I can tell you that much, but it'll be going to other people's pockets to help them create content for all of you. So um, anyway, thank you for that. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's going to be interesting about, about how they figure out what to do with DK Metcalf. Cause it really, at this point, it is starting to look like Tyler Lockett and Will Disley. And then don't know. Right. Like they've not yet been able to get David Moore consistently involved. Um, they've definitely not been able to get Jerron Brown consistently involved. Uh, John or is not even suiting up. Uh, you know, uh, Malik Turner had a flash in Pittsburgh, but now David Moore's back. And so he's not really getting snaps. But I think the receiver position is still an open question. And, and Evan, I think that there's some rumors flying around about potential receivers being available. Uh, what are you hearing there? Yeah. So I'm not sure if you guys have been following um, the Stefan Diggs uh, drama, you could say in, in uh, Minnesota, but long story short, he has been super underutilized um, by the Vikings this year. And even towards the end of last year, he signed a mega deal with them and is being paid a, a ton of money, averaging about $14, $15 million a year. Um, in terms of their cap, they are actually currently projecting um, neg like negative $5 million in cap space in 2020. So they are going to have to be – they're going to have to do something from the cap end to, to alleviate that stress going into 2020. Um, you know, they signed Kirk Cousins to that huge monster deal that is fully guaranteed, 100% fully guaranteed. They can't release him. Um, but basically, like, Stefan Diggs has basically tweeted some cryptic stuff on Twitter over the past 48 hours. There's been rumors that he's been super un unhappy in Minnesota, um, obviously super underutilized. Kirk Cousins has been, like, really, really bad this year. I don't know if you guys have seen a Vikings game, but... Kirk Cousins is unbearable to watch. It's really bad football right now. And Stefan Diggs isn't happy. Today, the drama slash rumors sort of hit a climax. He did not practice today due to a non-football-related reason. And the Vikings have been zipped lips on it. The leading candidate for a trade partner, rumored to be your New England Patriots. So um, 
you know, there's speculation that the Seahawks could be involved, but you know, they made a trade for a, for a dynamic receiver seven years ago. And I wouldn't be surprised to see them do it again, but that's the context to the step on. That'd be ironic with all the, uh, the news coming out about what Percy Harvin did with Golden Tate and how he was playing every game and yeah how he golden tate ended up in a trash can somehow did you see like golden tate's response though uh-uh he tweeted back and was like it's 100 percent fabricated like none of this happened and and i i personally don't buy that because cliff averill on the radio like affirmed all of this yeah and cliff doesn't seem like he'd be a guy that <clears throat> i'm not exactly like what yeah. percy is retired Percy's not playing in the NFL. What's his incentive to to lie about something like this, I guess? Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. And he comes off terribly in the story, too. Per- Percy. Well, yeah. Percy's kind of he's he's like a poor man's version of Antonio Brown in terms of crazy. So yeah. Uh, who knows? <laughs> Very much so. I will say Josina Anderson tweeted 47 minutes ago. Team told me today that they'd definitely be interested in Stefan Diggs, said they were informed by the Vikings that the wide receiver would not be traded. Um, so I mean they said the same thing about Percy Arvin, and then he was traded, you know? It's possible. It's possible. I, I mean, I think I think Stefan Diggs is a damn good receiver. Don't get me wrong. Um, I'm not super interested in this team trading for a 14 or 15 million dollar. Stefan Diggs right now. I don't think he's the answer for the Seahawks. Now, if you told me that they were going to figure out a way to rent AJ Green for the rest of the season and get him off the Bengals. Um, you would really prefer AJ Green over Stefan Diggs? A one season rental that's not going to be a, a millstone around your neck. And AJ we, Green is like so much of a better fit for what Russell Wilson is as a quarterback. Okay. So we're not assuming like similar trade compensation then I assume. No. Okay. Oh, much cheaper. Yeah, I mean, I think AJ Green is a better a better receiver and would be cheaper to acquire. Yeah, AJ Green is uh, thirty one years old, and it would cost the Seahawks like if I'm looking if I'm doing actually it cost them six million dollars to to no team for twenty nineteen. I mean, people are talking about like you know trying to pick apart Bengals talent. You know, go get Geno Atkins, go get AJ Green, go get like, yeah. I mean, I'm literally looking at his deal right now. The Seahawks to pay him the rest of the year would be a six million dollar cap hit. Yeah, I mean, if I'm the Bengals, first person I'm like trying to sh- ship is Andy Dalton, mm. like ship him to a team that all, all the quarterbacks going down, ship him to a team and that thinks it has a playoff chance and start tanking for that pick. Um, if I'm, if I'm the Bengals, that's but, an interesting call out, right? But no one's listening to here to talk about the Bengals. Um, let's, let's, let's turn it back to the Seahawks a little bit, you know, uh, trade rumors aside and let's talk about this Rams game guys. Um, first of all, you know, how much of the, the Rams versus Bucks did you guys get to see? Um, I watched all the highlights, if that counts. <laughs> it counts. It counts. Jeff, did you watch much of that game? Yeah, I had, a, I had my TV on the Seahawks game, and my computer was playing the entire Rams-Bucks game. So I watched as much as I could multi-screen. I saw a lot of that game. 
what was your what was your takeaway watching that game? I mean, it's crazy a fifty five forty game that does not happen that often. Um, tell me about what you what you what you took away from watching that game. My biggest takeaway, I know, and the PFF stats definitely agree with this, is that their offensive line has dramatically changed in the last year. I know we all talked about this in the offseason when we talked about the Seahawks, like division chances. How do you pass the Rams? And they lost their center. They lost their left guard who got paid pretty big, I think, from Tennessee. And we mentioned earlier, Whitworth has really taken a step back, and so has their right tackle. And as a result of that, they've kind of lost their identity on offense. Jared Goff really hasn't been good since that Chiefs game last year, and he was disastrous in this game. And the other thing in this game is really if you look at the first three games of the year, and I've, I've watched almost every Rams game, just I, I like to see them. The first three games, they mostly won with defense. They're, they're front with Donald and Dante Fowler and Clay Matthews has been getting really good pressure. And they, that's how they beat Carolina. That's how they beat the, the Browns. But they were burned on a lot of big plays down the field last game. And Marcus Peters gave up that huge touchdown to Mike Evans. Uh, he got hit pretty hard on his pick six return. And just their safety play was not nearly as good. And the biggest story, obviously, is though Jared Goff. Jared Goff has looked like a radically different player, and he mo- looks more like Andy Dalton or as a guy that just can't do things on his own. And when the things aren't going perfect around him and Gurley's not there and the offensive line isn't perfect, he isn't a difference maker. And if he's not a difference maker, that team's outlook dramatically changes. They have a great receiving core. They have some great players on defense, but if they don't have a good quarterback, they're 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 up for the taking. Evan, what's what's your what's your feeling about the Rams team coming into this game? Like what you and you were with me last year, this very same week, week five, yeah. Rams. I'm pretty sure we're four and zero. Seahawks were like one and three or two and two, something like that. And you and I were pre-gaming and we were like, holy shit, like this could be bad again. They are so good. Our defense is so bad. How are we going to do this? And I think it was right after Earl got hurt too. So we just had lost, you know, Earl Thomas in secondary. Lost by like two points. And both of us, you and I, you were so pissed after that game because you were like, and I was actually really encouraged. I was like so expecting us to get our butts kicked. And and you were right that we should have won. Um, year later, how do you feel about the Rams compared to how you felt last year? First of all, fuck moral victories. I, they, I, I'm not kidding. Like, it, there's tomorrow night, if they lose by three or lose by seven, bad news. The Seahawks need to retake the NFC West. And the way they do that, is by kicking Ram ass tomorrow night. I think, you know, one underplayed or maybe downplayed aspect of this game going into tomorrow night is really the Rams' defense. Their secondary has been a massive problem, massive liability for them. The Bucks just hung. I guess it's not 55 points technically because Sue returned a touchdown. But, you know, they hung, what, 48 points on them, 49 points? I don't remember if there's the extra point there. Um, the Panthers hung 27 on them. Uh, I'm going to disregard the Saints game just because Teddy Bridgewater, I don't think, is some insane threat. The Browns put up like a modest 13 points, but I think with this game at home, Russell Wilson having the fastest start to his career 
um, not just from a statistical point of view, but I think everybody with the eye test is like, Russell has started this season faster than he has in his entire NFL career. You know, being at home, Pete Carroll has a home record with the Seahawks at what, like 17 and two or something like that on maybe that's Thursday nights or something like that, but there's a 17 and two home record stat out there um, in primetime games. So I think, I think the matchup for me is I think if the Seahawks, let me put it this way. I think if the Seahawks win tomorrow night, I think DK Metcalf has a huge game. Hmm. Yeah. I, you know, it's interesting because Marcus Peters had the big pick six last week and that's something he's done a lot in his career. He was not very good last year and, and David Moore abused him in the first matchup with double moves. And like just made him look really bad. And Peters was not good. Most of the year he played well in the playoffs or played better. He's actually playing really well this year. He's, he's been in a big improvement for them. Eric Weddle has been a big improvement in the secondary safety. Um, it's actually a keep to that's taken a step back on the other side. And so the Rams are one of the best teams in the league at guarding number one receivers. And that's, that's Peter's side. Um, they're number 28 in the league guarding number two. So uh, it'll be interesting to see. Um, they've been actually also really good at guarding tight ends. So those of us who are excited about Will Disley, uh, you know, the change there is Taylor Rapp is probably not going to play. Um, rookie safety out of University of Washington. He's been playing a lot on the tight end, and he got carted off last on the Sunday game. So the chances he's going to play is, like, very, very low. Um, don't know how they're going to handle that. I, I didn't get a chance to watch and see who they who they brought in once Rapp was out. But um, those are some big question marks, and, and maybe this is uh, – this is a, a chance for them to exploit him with Will Disley. The, the Goff thing, I mean, this guy, like, I can't, I've always said, I just can't stand Jared Goff. Like, he's just an idiot. Like, he uh, drives me nuts. But I'm going to really love heckling him tomorrow. Like, I'm really looking forward to it. And, um, you know, this is a guy who's thrown six interceptions in four games. Six. That's nuts. Like, you know, for one of the best offenses in the, in the NFL, supposedly he's been under pressure on 43% of his dropbacks so far this year, 43%. And in those situations, his passer rating is 62. So you're talking about four out of every 10 snaps. He's like a bottom feeding quarterback. Um, that's, that's a big deal. And he just has not been, He's not been good this year. Now, he did throw for a ton of yards last week, and they put up 40 points. Let's not forget that. And it looked like if they had, didn't, if he didn't fumble there, they very well could have come back and won that game after being down 21 to nothing. So they are anyone that thinks that they're not a big deal on offense is kidding themselves. But those are all big differences. The other one, Jeff, Todd Gurley, mystery of the NFL. Guy went down with an injury late in the year last year, and he's never been the same. And it's not clear. He looks – he still looks like Todd Gurley when he runs, but they're just not giving him the ball that much and involving him. He was a huge part of both Seahawks' losses to the Rams last year. We don't know what it looks like when the Rams don't have Todd Gurley doing much against the Seahawks with Sean McVay. So what's your take on Todd Gurley and, and what's going on there? 
it's one of the oddest sports stories I can remember. Just a guy who was dominating the league, and all of a sudden, just they stopped giving him the ball. I don't know if it's his injury. I don't know if they have to like give him the Kawhi Leonard load management. I don't know what's going on, but he had five carries last week. And yeah, they're playing from behind, but like he had two touchdowns. But he was, I know, like Ben was tweeting out all those videos last year of him having those wide open runs and the offensive line just clearing space for him. But yeah, no Seahawks games. Todd Gurley, it seemed like a lot of the game plans, just the way to beat the Rams is to take out the edges and was to eliminate Gurley from the game. And it must, like, it's hard to figure out what's going on there. Yeah, like, it has to be an arthritic knee, something with that. But he's just, he's just, they're, they're managing him like he's a part time player right now. And that's completely changed their offense. He was kind of, if you ask McVeigh, he was the guy who said the backbone of their entire offense last year was Gurley. And I know it's probably hard to imagine given how good their three receivers are, but he's kind of where everything started. And it's where that Belichick defense of defending the edges with the big fronts really came from. And without him, they're just the whole dynamic of their passing game has changed because you don't need a key on those edges as much. And you can just focus on the receivers and it's really changed the way they play. And it's really changed their effectiveness. And then Super Bowl, for example, they were, pretty useless on offense and they've looked just up and down all year because it's more relying on golf now evan you know <laughs> i tweeted this out before but the rams are 31st in the nfl in run block grade according to pff and they're 32nd dead last in the nfl in pass block grade they are the worst offensive line in the nfl right now according to pff um how much how much do you think the Todd Gurley uh situation and and his lack of production is because of Gurley and his health and how much of it is this offensive line is just not doing anybody any favors yeah I think I think the reality is it's probably a mix of both the like like Jeff said the Todd Gurley situation is such a mystery potentially degenerative, like knee condition, chronic knee issue. Um, if that is what has happened to Todd Gurley and he is no longer going to be, you know, a, you know, 20, 30 carries a game type of back, um, glad he got the contract he did because it doesn't look like he will ever be that player again. At the same time, Andrew Whitworth and that line, they had a couple of departing guards leaving free agency. Um, the line just isn't is what it is last year. Last year, a super underrated piece of that offense was the offensive line. They were ranked like one or two or three. They're the best the offensive line last year. There you go. That they were a huge part towards, you know, their success. They they ran play action like a ton, and the reason they could run play action a ton is because their offensive line could block, hold defenders, and let those plays develop. Let those receivers run their long routes and let those explosive long plays happen. So um, it's probably a mix of both, but at the same time, I think the talk early situation is really, really strange. So is, is Sean McVay still a genius? Uh, yes. Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, last year was his first year, right? Or second year as okay. head coach? Second year. Second year? Yep. I think to go to a Super Bowl in your second year and have, you know, the squad that he put together in his second year, I think is really impressive. Okay. We are joined 
by the man, the myth, and my my uh, partner in crime tomorrow night at the Seahawks game, uh, Nathan Ernst, at uh, NathanE11 on Twitter. I think you're still at NathanE11, even though you changed your name around. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. That part doesn't okay. change. He's 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 uh he's Halloween. there for you, folks. Yeah. Um, so we were just talking about how, like, we're talking about this is the same time last year that CX played the Rams, week five or week yeah week five. Um, very different situation last year, at least in terms of last time that the CX played the Rams in Seattle, they had lost like forty to seven at home. Uh, the Rams were just incredible. The Seahawks had just lost Earl Thomas. Uh, it just looked like a huge mismatch. And the Seahawks lost by two, I think, in that game. Um, how do you feel differently about the Rams, if at all, this year than last year? Uh, I feel a little differently because I think, you know, you were asking if McVay is still a genius. I think McVay is probably still a very, very good coach. Um, I think that what's been solved here um, – is more about Jared Goof than anything. Uh, I, I think that teams have probably figured out uh, what he can and can't do or are forcing him more to what he can't do. Um, that said, you know, I mean, look, we've seen some crazy ups and downs from the Seahawk team already this year. <clears throat> um, the Rams went out and had a terrible game last week. Uh, we're, we're coming off we're just two weeks removed from the Seahawks version of that um, getting absolutely thumped by the saints. Um, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't discount this team too much. Um, I think, you know, talking about the offensive line, they, they had some attrition, they've gotten a little older. Um, so all that's fair. I think the playing fields uh, clearly evened a bit between these two teams. Um, maybe even to the point where as a home team, you can feel like Seattle maybe is the favorite here. Um, but I, I, I don't think the Rams have fallen probably as much as it seems like they have right now. Yeah, I think the Rams are a very good team. And, and in fact, looking at them deeply, I, I think their defense is actually better than last year. And yes, they just gave up 55 points. I get it. Although not all of those points were on the defense. Uh, but I see a sounder defense, both against the run and against the pass. And uh, there's some weaknesses for sure, <laughs> obviously. But even after giving up 55 points, they're like top 10 in yards and um, yards per play uh, allowed. So I think this is definitely a good team. I'm curious, Jeff, and, and for the rest of you, I'm not asking for a prediction at this point. Maybe we'll get to predictions later. I, I go in there. I, I feel like the Seahawks should win this game. Like, I didn't feel that way last year when these two teams played, but I feel like they should win this game. And that's kind of what I'm getting from Nathan in, in terms of, of this, right? Roughly even we're home team. How do you feel? I feel the same way. I know there's a bit of recency bias because the Rams were so bad last game and that the Seahawks probably played their best, definitely played their best game of the year. And I, I agree with you. The Rams are not a bad team by any means, just because we're saying they decline in one area. Last year, they were probably the most talented team in the league from just a roster standpoint. and But yeah, I think the Seahawks being the home team on a short week, I think their talent level is a close, as much more close than last year. Like last year, we had no idea where the Seahawks were at this point. They looked like a potential, we were talking about potential lottery picks and tanking the year. Like we didn't know what they were. So that game was a real sign of encouragement. 
compared to this year, like Evan said, if they lost, it would feel really shitty, even if they lost by two points or one point. Um, yeah, I think the Seahawks have a good chance to win this game. I don't. I think it's close to a toss-up game just because of how good I think that team is. But given the Seahawks' strengths and the way Russell Wilson's playing and the quarterback difference, and that's how you win games. So I think the way – I think the Seahawks do have a pretty good chance of winning this game, and that's why I think they're the favorite. Well, I mean, Evan, like there's an old adage that the best quarterback usually wins the game. That is, that is, that is generally the, the point of view in, in, in the NFL. And um, I've heard that before. <laughs> so, you know, you've got Jared Goff, who's thrown six interceptions this year. He's had, I want to say, 13 fumbles in his last 14 starts. Some crazy number like that. Um, he, I can't remember. I'll put it up here in a second. I think he's like 25th. 26th in the NFL in QBR and you've got Russell Wilson playing the best football of his career. Why isn't that enough? What, what, if, if those things are true, why, why aren't we like super confident about the Seahawks winning this game? It's a really good question. Uh, my fear is that if they get an early lead, like they did against the Cardinals, whether it be a defensive score offense is clicking, whatever. If they get an early lead and they put up points, my fear is that they suddenly transition back into playing not to lose mode. I think that would be a disaster with the Rams. The Rams are capable of scoring a lot of points very quickly. Yes, Jared Goff has been bad this year, but we saw what they did last year. They can put up points quickly. They're explosive. They have playmakers. I don't care if Todd Gurley is a shell of his former self. He's still a playmaker. They have great receivers. Um, I, I, my, my fear is that if they take their foot off the accelerator, if they don't play aggressive, they're not going to win this game. I really believe that. Um, I, I just think the Rams are a dangerous team. I Like, like Nathan said, like, I, I think this team is still a good team, even though they haven't looked like the 2018 Rams. So I think my concern is over – how conservative they will call the game. Nathan, how about you? I mean, wh where do you think the Rams have the biggest advantage um, over the Seahawks? Um, uh, well, their defense is better. I, I think that's, that's probably true. Uh, I, I'm with Evan here. Um, you know, if the coaches come out and treat this like the Kansas City game or – I mean, really, like, either the Rams games last year, like, they they came out pretty aggressive in those games, from what I remember. Um, then I think this team definitely has a chance. Um, but if they come out like they did against the Cowboys, then, you know, I don't know. Um, yeah. and, and, you know, m more about how, you know, I, I last week was obviously a disaster for them, but, you know, they put up 40 points on a good Tampa Bay defense, right? Like, this team is still very good on offense, even if we've got a return of Jared Goof. So, like, I, I wouldn't discount this team at all. They're probably the better team on paper. Um, but, you know, you, I, I think you're absolutely right. Like, you have two teams that whose quarterbacks are, you know, are polar opposites right now. And if, if you want to wait that to the point where you feel confident in this game for Seattle, I, I wouldn't blame anyone for that. Yeah, for, for to, to clarify or to – uh, make it official he's 20 Jared Goff is 26th in the NFL and QBR right now um, 
he had 12 interceptions all of last year. He's got six already in four games this year. So really, really big difference there. Um, you know, I think the, the, <laughs> I always come back to Aaron Donald. That guy can change a game all by himself. He's done it plenty of times. It's really weird. I was looking at this. I was actually talking to Mina on Twitter about it earlier today. I think it was today. Maybe it was yesterday. But um, Aaron Donald is 99th in the NFL in, um, in pass rush productivity, according to Pro Football Focus. And 99th among defensive linemen. Is that pass uh, rush grade or? No, that's pass rush productivity. So that's pressures, hurry, no, hurries, hits, and sacks divided by pass rush snaps, right? And, <laughs> and uh, he was number one in that stat last year. So it's not like the ESPN um, pass rush, you know, pass rush win rate number. Uh, has them as uh, has him as like number two or number three among defensive linemen and in, in, in pass rush win rate. So there are other places. I don't think Aaron Donald is all of a sudden bad, but he's got one sack on the year. He's he himself has come out and talked about that. He needs to do more. Um, you know, he, he came out of the saints game, right? In the same game that breeze got hurt. Didn't he come he out did. for a while? He had a back issue, and that's some of the question out there. Is is that a lingering issue? Is he not quite up? And you know, on a short week this week, um, is that going to be a factor? Because I mean, he, he's well, the one guy that I would just say he can change the game all by himself. Yeah, I mean, him having a slow start is the good news. The bad news is that Fowler and uh, Clay Matthews are—I uh, don't know if they're picking up for him because he was so unreal last year, but like they are. Uh, they have been very good this year. They have. And you know who else has been really good that uh, I don't think most Seahawks fans know is Corey Littleton. Uh, he's their linebacker, a former Husky. He's playing like pro football focus has got him as like an elite coverage linebacker right now. And he's, he's scoring well better than any of the Seahawks linebackers so far this year. And pro football, fo- fo- uh, pro football focus is just one, one measure, but I mean, I think it's, it's a, it's a decent indicator. So um they are with you know, Mark Barron's no longer on the team. Uh, Lamarcus Joyner's no, no longer on the team. So those are two guys that were factors for this Rams team. But yeah, it's interesting. I'll tell you, Evan, I'm actually a little bit excited that Rashad Penny's going to be back this game. I find myself excited that Rashad Penny's going to be back there to take some snaps. Well, after this, like but... the after like the three negative plays that CJ Proseis had on Sunday, I would be excited about it too. Well, how many games, how many touchdowns does Penny have on the year? Okay. Okay. How many, how many games missed due to injury does Penny have on the year? My life has really taken a downhill turn when CJ Proceis is healthier than Rashad Penny. I, there was a not time not so long ago you were talking about he's been healthy for 14 days. I've got that counter going in my head. So uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm hoping I, it keep, keeps going. Um. But yeah, like Chris Carson actually missed the last game against the Rams. Uh, Rashad Penny, you know, started in that game, had 100 yards. I think somebody was supposed to get a tattoo on their chest um, after it. But, um, you know, they, 
they actually, I, I think uh, the first game, it was the first game that Disley, I'm uh, sorry, that Disley had been injured or close to it. So they were adjusting on tight ends. Daryl Daniels was still playing tight ends. There's, there's definitely some changes, but um, how do you feel about the Seahawks' ability to run the ball in this game, Evan? I mean, I, I, I would ask Nathan, but I know he would he would just fall asleep answering the question. So. How do I feel about their ability to run the ball this game? Um, that's a good question. <laughs> I don't I don't know. I'm worried about that defensive line. I, I really am. I, I don't think they're gonna have a ton of success running the ball. I think I think Chris Carson should get obviously a strong majority of the carries. I think even with Penny being what is it like 12 11 days, 12 days since the injury, I wouldn't push him too hard. I, I think if he's even active tomorrow, um, I'd probably be giving those carries to Procyser or Homer, but yeah, no, I, I'm not, I'm not confident in our running game at all. Um, going into tomorrow. I'm, I worry about Aaron Donald. I worry about those beasts on the defensive line. Um, do you, that's, do you guys it, remember how much the Seahawks, what the Seahawks did on the ground against the Rams last year? It's not normal. I, I think it's going to shock you. They ran for 273 yards in the last game. They ran for 183 yards in the first game. 273 and 183. Like they gashed them on the ground last year. And I think it's a really interesting thing, like how much they're going to go back to that. Um, who knows? Maybe Indomitian Sue is part of the problem and they're getting better without him there. Addition by subtraction. That's one but part of it. The other thing is the Seahawks. They're throwing the ball a lot faster, right? Like Russell Wilson's throwing the ball faster than he ever has. Um, no matter who you have pass rushing, that's going to make it harder to affect him that way. So those two things for me are like, I'm really curious how the game plays out. And I agree with you. If they get, if they get too infatuated with the run game, I think they're going away from their strength right now. At the same time, I thought the run game started to look better against the Cardinals and they certainly had success against this team last year running the ball. Um, I, I hesitate to ask you, Nathan, I'm going to go to, to Jeff on this. Like, how do you, how do you, how do you, how do you see this playing out? Well, I think this is a big question of just running smarter versus a pass versus run situation. Cause even though they did gash them in that first game, if you remember the end of that game in the fourth quarter, when they had a chance to put the game away, they got very conservative and that was like shoddy people at its worst. And they started running too much. They stopped taking shots downfield and it hurt them in the end. And that's not the kind of running I want to see from them. If they're able to run the way they did early in the game and really open up their deep passing game. And just if they can gash them with Carson and Penny, like they did Penny play that whole game in LA last year. If you remember, that was his kind of best game of the year. Carson was out for that game and Penny gashed them. He had some two massive runs and the way they just move up field and Donald penetrates and, it opens up holes in the run game. So that is an area they might be able to exploit, especially if their guards play as well as they did last week. But again, I think the best way to beat this team is through Russell Wilson. So I don't want to see them rely too heavy on the run. I don't think that's the best way this team should try to win. I think the passing game is, should be the strength of their team. And yeah, use Carson, just run, just, but run and run smarter. Don't run second and long. Don't run first and 20 or second and 20, whatever it is. That's the kind of running I want to see them do. And just to piggyback off what you said, Jeff, if they're going to run the ball this this game and they're going to 
you know, be, you know, operating super long-winded drives, fine. But I have one request. Finish those drives with fucking touchdowns. Like we saw in, you know, the fourth quarter of the Cards game, they ran the ball hard and they took like eight or nine minutes off the clock. That's fine with me. If we're going to be dumb about running, don't care, but finish the drives. Score touchdowns because that's where it matters. And if you take off seven minutes off the clock and, you know, you don't put anything, any points on the board, this Rams team is going to blow you out. So I think they have to, they have to, they have to be. I got to call bullshit a little bit there, dude. Like you take seven minutes off the clock by design, you can't really be blown out. Like that is, that is part of like, if if you're consistently sucking the clock down, there's only so many points that can be scored. Sure. Define blowout. But the other part is the Seahawks are number one in the NFL in red zone conversion. Even after last week, this past game where they went two for four, Mm -hmm. um, they're still number one in the NFL in red zone. And honestly, that's been a strength for shoddy. He like last year, they were number one in the NFL in red zone for most of the year until they trailed off and had some bad stuff towards the end. But I don't see that as a big issue. I mean, Nathan, I've been kidding you about this. Like, when you've got a situation like this, I'm, I am curious, and you've got a team that has given up over 200 yards on the ground over the last two games that you faced them. Is there any part of you that's like, and you got Aaron Donald in there, who's a great pass rusher, any part of you that's like, yeah, they should see if they can get the running game going? I mean, they shouldn't do that. Uh, that, that shouldn't be the goal. Um, I mean, they should do – they should do the plays that get the most yards, right? Um, if they go into this and they think that they can, you know, gap. I mean, Penny average. Penny had 12 carries for 108 yards. If you can, if you can do that again, awesome, right? That's fine. Uh, don't don't go into the game though thinking, oh, we got to get Penny going, right? Like, like just just do the plays that are good. <laughs> if their pass <laughs> plays great, if their run plays also fine, right? And then adjust if it doesn't work, right? Um, it, it's it's it's. I mean, that's oversimplified, but also like it. It's not that complicated, I don't think. Yeah, I mean, I, I <laughs> identifying I, the plays that work and executing the plays that work—that's the tough part, right? But like, just do that's the thing. That's kind of the bigger good. point. That's the question: is you know, do you go in strategically into this game thinking uh, we're better off if we can figure out how to run the ball? Um, and, and that's where you want to try to probe initially, because it is a matter of trial and error to some extent, like you're figuring out what works and what doesn't, or do you come in and you're like quick passing game? Honestly, like my opinion is, uh, more towards the quick passing game. Like, I, I do feel like that's where their strength is right now. And I don't think the running game has been consistent enough. Um, and I think the Rams run defense is better than it was last year. So, uh, I think that's where, where my instincts would be. I'm kind of curious to see how the team comes out. Um, and then, you know, look, I think one of the biggest mismatches in this matchup last year was the Seahawks defense against the Rams offense, especially, I mean, it was running and passing. Like when they would run it on those wide zones, there were massive holes. (laughs) Curly was getting seven, eight yards. And then when they'd pass it, Cooper Cup, you know, uh, Robert Woods, Brandon Cook, those are Cooks, those are three really good receivers. And they were open by like long stretches for deep, big, like explosive gains. So, you know, 
I'm really curious to see. Supposedly, supposedly, the defense that the Seahawks are playing now, in large part, is about adjusting to the Rams. It's supposed to be better about defending this this offense than what they've been running in the past. This is a test. I mean, like, I will be really pissed off if we get in there and we're seeing Rams receivers running like wide open all over the place again. And the Rams are just moving the ball down the field without. So they talked about this in the uh, Bengals game. The announcers did. And I don't, I haven't gone back to watch to verify whether what they said is true. Uh, You should not take announcers at face value. Uh, But they were saying that what Seattle was doing and and staying in base so much and and how they were lining up um, the front seven uh, was uh, copying what, the Patriots had done to the Rams in the Super Bowl um, because the, the Bengals coach is the uh, old uh, Rams quarterback coach, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, clearly it seems like they're trying to copy something that worked. Um, but if you if you look at how that went against the Bengals, like, they didn't give up a lot of points, but they did give up 400 yards, and there were receivers running wild. Um so, you know, I think that they didn't think that, uh, I, I don't know. I think part of it was they didn't think that Dalton could beat them. Um, they could give up the yards and that he wouldn't, you know, finish. Uh, and maybe they're confident in the same thing with, with Goff. Like that proved to be true for the Patriots, even though I don't, I don't think the Rams really moved the ball particularly well in that game. Um, but yeah, so it's going to be really interesting to see, like, is this in reaction to, uh, you know, what maybe they've learned from the Super Bowl last year? And is it going to work any better than it did when they tried it against the Bengals? Yeah. Yeah. It's, and, and the other piece I'd throw out there, we talked about on the offense and the defensive side for the Seahawks uh, is Todd Gurley. It's not just the offensive line. Todd Gurley has his worst pass blocking grade. He's had as a, as a pro he's down like 38 as a pass block grade so far this year, he's been over 70 in other years, given what the Seahawks have been trying to do with their linebackers and blitzing more often, you know, this could definitely be a game where we see Michael Kendricks get sent more and, and challenge them. So I'm kind of expecting the Seahawks – I'll tell you what. I'm expecting the Seahawks to be aggressive on defense. I'm expecting the best game so far from Jadavian Clowney and Ziggy Ansah. I think this is the game where we get our first real chance to see what that group looks like together. And, you know, under the lights, in a big contest against a struggling offensive line, um, in a game that you know you need to win. If they can't turn it up, if we can't see pass rush have an impact on this game – I'm going to be really pissed off. You're going to be getting punched in the shoulder a lot, Nathan. So I just want you to know that. Uh, if, if this is um, you're a big guy, you can, you can take it. Yep. All right. So let's, let's wrap up here, guys. Let's, let's talk about uh, um, uh, if you're comfortable. Um, if you're not, I'm going to make you uncomfortable. What do you got for a score? Uh, Jeff, how are you, how are you seeing this game play out? I think it's going to be a close game. I think it's going to be a back and forth game. I think, I hope the game doesn't come down to how Tedrick Thompson can play because the difference in what the Patriots did is they didn't have Tedrick Thompson in there as a black hole in their secondary. So I still think because of the pass rush, because of the offensive line and just the Seahawks history on primetime games, I'm going to take the Seahawks 27-24. All right, Evan, where are you at in this game? 27 27- to 13. I think the Seahawks 
win big. I guess win winning big for the Seahawks is a fourteen point win. So That's I think twenty seven. True, true, sure. I, I twenty seven to thirteen is my call. Nathan. Um, I think this is going to look a lot like the games last year. So I'll go something like. 3533 um and I I'm going to go Rams. Good for you, dude. Have some have some guts. I I I uh I think the Seahawks are going to win. I I I don't have like a a huge amount of fear about this one. I do think it would not shock me at all if the Rams won, but uh I definitely want to believe that the Seahawks are, are capable of winning this game. And uh, soon it'll be a question mark of like, are the Seahawks good enough to play against the 49ers? Who, by the way, you guys gave me a lot of shit about the 49ers being good this year. Everyone's saying we'll wait and see. No one's taking them seriously. I think watch out for the 49ers. I think they're pretty good. But then aside, I've got the Seahawks winning this. I do think they're going to put up points. I, I'm going to put the Seahawks at 30 points. Um, and I think, the Rams are going to be around 23. So I'll go 30 to 23 Seahawks. Uh, I think there's going to be some points put up on the board. So, all right. Thank you guys for joining. Uh, thanks everybody for joining the show. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to the channel. Uh, subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, um, Google Play. Uh, become a patron, patreon.com slash hawkblogger. We've got well over 100 patrons now and uh, growing the community as we go along. So it's awesome. And uh, otherwise, you know, let people know about the podcast, listen to more shows, and uh, go Hawks. Have a great rest of your evening.